continuing on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We will hopefully finish out the chapter this evening. Chapter uh, 2, verses 13 through 20. Um, again, just recalling the context of chapter 2 thus far has been Paul um, explaining how they behaved amongst the Thessalonians, right? explaining their character uh, and how they behaved themselves there. Uh, and then at the end of last week, at uh, verse 11 and 12, uh, Paul uses their character and how they behaved as an example for how the Thessalonians needed to behave. Uh, and talks about how they needed to walk worthy of God, right, who's the one that called them unto his kingdom. Uh, and so we need to take that charge as well, uh, that we also would walk worthy of Christ, right, being his ambassadors, being members of his body, uh, that we should walk in light of who he has made us, uh, walking worthy of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, not that that saves you or gives you salvation, uh, but because he has saved you, you should have that desire to want to live for him and walk worthy of him and do what he would have you to do. Uh, so that's where we left off last week in chapter 2, uh, but starting in verse 13. <coughs> it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because you, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, <clears throat> which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost." But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. So I want to spend a little bit of time this evening on verse 13 because we do quote that verse uh, quite a bit uh, because it talks about uh, the effectual working of the Word of God. Uh, but Paul starts out that verse saying, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Uh, we've talked about that without ceasing. He talks about praying without ceasing. It doesn't mean you pray 24-7, right? Never stop. Uh, but it has to do with always praying like on a daily basis right he thanks god without ceasing for them when he gives thanks to god he's giving thanks for the thessalonians right and part of prayer is uh thanksgiving if you look at uh second thessalonians 1 3 the reason he's giving thanks here is because of the word of god working in them right so again the context he's telling them to walk worthy right to behave uh in a manner that is worthy of christ uh, who they are named by but then he also gives thanks that they are doing that, right? Because they have believed the word of God and it is working in them to cause them to walk worthy. Uh, he says in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Right, so here in the second epistle, he gives thanks to them because of their faith growing. Right, it's growing exceedingly. 
uh, and their charity is toward one another, right? It abounds toward one another. Uh, so again, it's the word of God working in them that makes their faith to grow. Right? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, so Paul is giving thanks for them and for their trusting in the word of God and it producing results in their life, right? It working in them. In Romans 1.8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Right, so Paul often gives thanks for those he is ministering to, right? Especially those who uh, showed faith, right? And preached the gospel, uh, as he talked about the Thessalonians doing in chapter 1. Uh, so he's giving thanks uh, for them. Uh, again, application there, we should be thankful for those within the body of Christ that are uh, trusting in the Word of God and seeing it work in them and are doing ministry. Right? We should be thankful to those people uh, that are doing that. Uh, but he says, uh, For this cause, thank we God without ceasing. Uh, when you receive the Word of God, which you heard of us. Uh, so this tells us that what Paul preached uh, was the Word of God. Okay? Um, Galatians 1.11 Because there are people out there that reject Paul's epistles. Uh, they say that he was a, a hoax. He was not uh, someone that truly saw the Lord Jesus Christ or had a commission from God because they do see where Paul teaches differently than the rest of the Bible. Right? We know that because he was revealed mystery. Right? He was revealed things kept secret. So it's going to be different than the rest of the Bible. Uh, not different altogether, right? It's built on Jesus Christ. It's built on the law and the prophets, but it is different, right? It's apart from the law. It's apart from Israel. Um, and so some people reject Paul for that reason. Uh, but he says here, you receive the word of God, which you heard of us. So Paul is preaching the word of God. Uh, he certifies the Galatians here in chapter 1, verse 11. He says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if what Paul is teaching, he himself was taught by Jesus Christ, then that means he is teaching the words of Christ. Right? He's teaching the word of God because that's what he learned his message from, the revelation from. Uh, he learned it from Christ himself. Colossians 1.25, he was given the, the mystery. Here he says, uh, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Right? The mystery is what fulfills the word of God. Right? Now that we have the mystery, we have both prophecy revealed and the mystery purpose revealed, the word of God is fulfilled. Right? It's complete. We have all the words of God that he would have us to know. We have all the scripture now. Uh, verse 26, even the mystery, right, which have been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So he tells you what it is that fulfilled the word of God, right? He said, I was made a minister of the dispensation of the grace of God to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, right? That is what fulfilled the word of God, the revelation of the mystery. Uh, even Peter talks about Paul's uh, uh, letters as being the scriptures. In 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, it says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, 
in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So you see there, he references Paul's epistles and says people will rest with them, with, they will wrestle with Paul's epistles, right, not understanding them, as they do the other scriptures. So he doesn't say they wrestle with Paul's epistles just like they do the holy scriptures. It's the other scriptures, right? So it's making Paul's scripture as well. Um, and so that's what Paul says here in the Thessalonians. He's giving thanks to them for receiving the word of God, which they heard from Paul. So Paul's preaching the word of God. And he says he's thankful that they received it, not as the words of men, um, which is something Paul warns against. Right? He warns against taking just man's words. Right? Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4, something you have to be careful of is make sure it's the word of God that you're receiving and believing and not man's words. Okay? Uh, just because someone stands behind a pulpit or reads a Bible verse and then starts talking, that doesn't mean they're preaching the word of God, right? They can be preaching their opinion. They can be preaching something they've heard. Uh, you have to make sure it's the words of God, and we do that today by reading the scripture, right? Comparing it to scripture and studying. Uh, Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. Right? So Paul says, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. Right, and he warns against uh, looking for man's wisdom. In verse 13, he says, uh, Every man's work shall be manifest for the day... Sorry, this verse. I'm in the wrong chapter. Second yeah, Corinthians 2.14. It's not the verse that I wanted. I'm sorry, it's 13. It says, Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. All right, so we're not speaking the things which man's wisdom teacheth, right, but what the Holy Spirit is teaching. Ephesians 5, 6. He says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Right, so vain words, empty words, words that don't produce anything because they're taught with man's wisdom. Right, it's not true scripture. Uh, you have to be careful of these things uh, because the result of them is not spiritual growth. Right? It's going to be really sin, disobedience, because it's not the word of God. It's simply man's wisdom, and man's words. In Colossians 2.4, he says, In this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. All right, so be careful of men trying to entice you or beguile you with enticing words. All right, people who speak eloquently, people who sound smart, who are very philosophical, you need to be very careful of them, and whatever they say, Compare it back to Scripture and don't be deceived by that. And so again, he's giving thanks for the Thessalonians for believing what they preach and believing it as the Word of God, uh, which he says, as it is in truth, the Word of God. Right, so he says, I'm thankful that you didn't take our words and say, well, you're just a man. I'm not listening to you, but you actually received it 
as the words of God, he says, which it is in truth, uh, the word of God. Okay, God's word is truth. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. Right? God's word is truth. Ephesians 1, 13, uh, when you see the phrase, the word of truth, it's usually in reference to the gospel. Uh, but Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, uh, after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so everyone that's saved, even though you may not have read the gospel in the Bible, someone may have witnessed to you, that's you doing what the Thessalonians did. Right? You're taking that person's words and believing it as it is the words of God. Right? Because it's God who gave the gospel. Right, Jesus Christ who died and resurrected and revealed that as the message for salvation. Right, so you hear that and you trust it. Right, not because some man told you and you're trusting in that man, but because you're trusting in God's words, the words of truth. Colossians 1.15, or sorry, 1.5, says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel? So there again, the word of truth of the gospel. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, so you rightly divide the word of truth, which is God's words. Like God's words are truth, we have to rightly divide it. And so, like I said today, we do that by studying the word of God. Right? That's what he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved. That's how you determine if it's man's words or God's words, uh, is through studying the Scripture. The Thessalonians did not have all of the Word of God. Right? The book of Thessalonians was being written at that time, right? Uh, being probably Paul's first epistles, as most people expect. So they didn't have Romans, they didn't have Timothy, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, they knew it was the Word of God. Uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14.37... This was part of the reason that they had the spiritual gifts back then, was so that they can confirm these things. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that are right unto you are the commandments of the Lord. All right, so those who had uh, the gift of prophecy, or those who were spiritual, right, would be able to uh, determine and acknowledge what was actually the Word of God. Right, this is part of the reason God gave the spirit gifts back then. Uh, another way they could tell was because Paul himself had the power of the spirit and demonstrated that power to confirm his message. In Romans 15, verse 19, uh, he says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Right, so he says he did it through power of the Spirit of God and with mighty signs and wonders. Right? So Paul did miracles. Right? He did mighty signs and wonders uh, through the power of God that helped confirm his message. So that's how they, they could know that it was the words of God and not just Paul being some crazy man preaching words. Right. Uh, and then 1 Thessalonians 1.5, even in the very epistle, Paul says this, he says, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. All right, so no doubt those signs and wonders that Paul said he had, he did them among the Thessalonians, 
confirming that he was an apostle, right? That his message was from God. Uh, and then he says uh, he's thankful that they received the word of God, not simply as words of men, not simply as Paul just saying what Paul wanted to say, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effecti- effectively worketh also in you that believe. Okay, the word of God is not without power. Okay, the word of God uh, has power. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So just plain and simply, the word of God is the power uh, to salvation. You have to hear the word of God if you want to be saved. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, that we read earlier, it says, After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, then you believe. Okay, so you're not saved without hearing the gospel. You have to hear it, and it's the power of God unto salvation. First uh, Corinthians 1.18 uh, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Right, the preaching of the cross is the power of God to us that are saved. Uh, we talked about before the cross and what Christ did for you. Uh, you were crucified on that cross as well. Right? And once you're saved... You're placed into that death, right? And you're baptized into Christ, Romans 6 teaches. Uh, that's the power of God in you because you can now say, well, I'm dead, right? My flesh is dead. I'm going to walk in the Spirit because that's who God has made me. And that's the Word of God working in you because you're trusting it, believing it. And now that you've heard it, that's the power of God working in you, right? So the preaching of the cross uh, to the world may be foolish, right? If some guy died 2,000 years ago and you think that's what saves you and helps you live spiritually, well, yes, right? To us that are saved, it's the power of God uh, in our lives. Uh, so you see how the Word of God can work effectually in you. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right? The word of God, it pierces uh, even to your soul and spirit. Right? And it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Uh, words are powerful things. Right? You can say something to someone and discourage them. Right? Just with your words that you speak. You can make someone hurt. Right? You can make someone happy and encourage them. Right, with your words. Uh, words are powerful things, and the Word of God being the most powerful, right, because they're God's words Himself. Uh, he tells you what sin in your life is, right, and it's powerful to convict you, right, of what you do wrong. He tells you how you ought to act, right, and it's powerful to give you direction in your life, right, to correct you, to instruct you in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3 16 through 17 says. Uh, in Ephesians 6, the armor that Paul talks about that we need to put on, he says, uh, the sword of truth, right? That's the only weapon in the armor of God is the sword of truth, which is the word of God, he says. Right? It's your defense, but it's also your offense, right? That's what you uh, defend yourself with uh, and attack with is the word of God, right? You want to see someone get saved, you preach them the word of God, right? You don't beat them over the head with a stick and say, get saved, right? It's the word of God that works in their lives because it's the gospel that has the power of God into salvation. Uh, Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
Right. So the word of God is what works in our lives today, right? It's doctrine. It's uh, one, something that you have to learn as a head knowledge, but also uh, getting it worked into you so that you believe it and you live it, right? That's how that works. Uh, you have to actually believe it, not just hear it and understand it, but actually believe that it is true. That's when it's going to effectually work in you. Uh, for example, if I told you a blizzard was coming, and you said, oh, okay, you know, whatever. You're not going to do nothing if you don't truly believe it. All right, I'm not going to show you the models on the, the uh, news, and you can understand what it's saying. But if you don't truly believe that, you're not going to do nothing to prepare for the blizzard coming. But if you believe it, you're going to say, okay, I need to make sure I got water and maybe get a generator and do all this stuff to prepare because you're believing what you were told. Right? And that's how the Word of God works in you. You believe it. You believe what it says. You're going to act in light of that right? and walk in light of that, and it's going to work effectually in you. Uh, and so that's uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Like I said, it's a good verse because it shows us how the Word of God uh, is what can work in you, right? And it's effectual, right? It's effective is what that means. Uh, so you have to believe the Word of God. This is why you need to study it and read your Bible uh, so that you know what God has said and you can have it work in you. Verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So he says you became followers of the churches in Judea. Okay, this is only in suffering and persecution. Okay, they weren't following the churches of Judea in doctrine, uh, because we know they were under the uh, message of Peter in the kingdom. Right, They had sold everything that they had. Paul here in Thessalonians is telling them to work, right? As we'll see a little later on. In uh, the Judea church, they sold everything they had, and they were trusting in God to provide, as he had taught them to do, uh, expecting the kingdom to come. Uh, and that's what Paul says here, right? You're followers of the churches of Judea, uh, for ye also have suffered, right? So that's the example, that's the following that they uh, had of the church there. Galatians 1.13. Paul says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past of the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Right? Paul was one of the ones persecuting the church there, right? the church in Judea. He was a Jew himself, right? a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was one of his own countrymen persecuting the church in Judea. Uh, so I thought it was interesting there. He's kind of talking about himself back in the day, right? Being the persecutor of the church there. Uh, Acts 8.1. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Right? So you see Paul was the one that scattered the Jews in Jerusalem, right, the church in Judea, uh, scattered them to the regions of Judea and Samaria, and Paul was going out to persecute them. Uh, the high priest persecuted them in Jerusalem in Acts 5, 26 through 29. It says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach 
in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Uh, in verse 40 it says, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Uh, so you see there they beat them. Uh, early in the chapter they had put them in prison. Right? And God uh, rescued them from that. And they bring them back to the high priest. And the high priest says, We told you not to do that. We're going to beat you and then hope you don't go and preach in Christ's name anymore. Uh, so again, the church in Judea, they were persecuted. Right? Uh, and the Thessalonians were followers of them in persecution, is what Paul is saying there. Uh, he does have that phrase that is sometimes controversial because he says, uh, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. And so people say, well, being in Christ is for the body of Christ. Right? It's for the mystery, the dispensation of grace. So if the church in Judea back in Acts was in Christ, then that means the mystery was revealed back there. Uh, that's not the case. Um, Jesus himself taught, you had to be in me, right? In John 15, uh, the problem is you can be in Christ both under prophecy and the ministry of the kingdom and under grace, right? Because uh, Christ is the foundation of both prophecy and the ministry, right? Uh, John 15 gives you a different way to be in Christ. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, and shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, even so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So he's talking here about bearing fruit, right? You have to be in the vine if you want to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you're going to be cut off, right? Which is a different teaching for the body of Christ, right? God's not cutting off body parts, right? Once you're baptized into Christ's body, you're there to stay. Um, so they are in Christ by keeping his commandments, he says. If you keep my commandments, then you abide in my love, right? And so this is how they were abiding in Christ. This is how they were in Christ through keeping his commandments. Right, through abiding in his love and keeping uh, what he taught. Uh, you are in Christ by your faith in the gospel. Right? Um, Ephesians 1.13 says you're sealed by the Holy Spirit once you trust the gospel. Uh, it's by one spirit that we're all baptized into Christ. Right? So you are immersed into Christ upon your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ today. Uh, so don't let that phrase, the churches of Judea in Christ, because Paul says... Uh, there was those in Christ before him in Romans, uh, being people that were in the Jewish church back in the early period of Acts. Uh, but again, that's a different way than how you are in Christ today. Okay? Again, Christ is the foundation both for the kingdom and for heaven, right? for earth and heaven. Uh, he is the all in all. 
Uh, so he's saying that they were followers of those that were in Christ Jesus at the church of Judea. Uh, for you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen. Uh, so this is interesting because when you go to Acts 17, the Jews would often stir up the city to persecute those there that they want to persecute. So it wasn't always necessarily the Jews themselves dishing out the persecution, but they were the instigators. Uh, and that's kind of what happened here in Acts 17 at Thessalonica. Look at verse 8 through 9. It says, And they, speaking of the Jews that didn't believe, uh, troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason of the other, they let them go. Uh, so you see there that they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. Um, and so this is something that you would see where they would go and stir up the people to try to cause persecution. Uh, if you drop down to uh, verse 13, it says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came through there also and stirred up the people. So they didn't just do it at Thessalonica and were content when Paul left, but they heard he was at Berea, so now they go to Berea to try to stir up the people at Berea to persecute Paul and Barnabas. Uh, so he says the Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians, persecution of their own countrymen well, was because of the Jews. The Jews were stirring up the people to do that. Um, and so this is something that, uh, again, the church in Judea, also suffer persecution of their own countrymen, of Jews. Right? We saw that of the high priest, Paul himself being a Jew, right? persecuted uh, the Jewish church there. Uh, so the Thessalonians were following them in persecution. Verse 15, he says, They, speaking of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Uh, this was prophesied to them in Matthew 23. Jesus told them they would kill him just like they killed the prophets. Matthew 23, 27 through 34. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are likened to white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Right, so he says you're hypocrites, right? They talked about uh, we're not going to persecute the prophets, right? Or uh, we're not going to be as our fathers who persecute the prophets, but Jesus says you're going to crucify them. Right, no doubt he's talking about himself there uh, as well. Uh, verse 35, he says, that, open you may, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous, Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Bar Baracus, which uh, ye slew between the temple and the altar. Right, so he says the blood of all the prophets is going to come upon you. Right, because this generation was going to be the ones to 
killed the Messiah. Uh, and so they killed the Lord Jesus, speaking of the Jews here in Thessalonians and the prophets, um, and have persecuted us. And so not only did they crucify Jesus, not only did they kill the prophets, not only were they stirring up the countrymen to persecute the Thessalonians, but they also persecuted Paul and Barnabas uh, back there in Acts uh, 17, verse 5 and 13, we read that, where they stirred up uh, those in Berea in 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Paul says that the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. All right, so they were persecuting Paul five different times. He received 39 uh, beatings of the whip from the Jews. Uh, and he says part of the persecution that they faced was that they were forbidding them to preach unto the Gentiles. Uh, he says, uh, they persecuted us and they pleased not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. And so this is how they are contrary to all men because they don't want to see all men saved. They didn't want Paul going to Gentiles. Um, that was what he was commissioned to do in Acts 9.15. Right? Paul says, I'm going to send Paul, speaking to, I uh, can't remember his name there, the person that went to go see Paul after uh, Jesus had appeared to him, Ananias. And he says, uh, I'm going to send Paul to be my witness in front of kings, in front of Israel, and to the Gentiles. Right? That's what Paul was commissioned to do. And the Jews tried to stop that. Right? They didn't want Paul to preach to Gentiles. Here he says they forbade us. Right? They were forbidding us to speak to Gentiles. Uh, he says they pleased not God because that was God's will. First Timothy two four says God who will have all men to be saved. Right? And you have Jews there that didn't want them preaching to Gentiles salvation. Uh, and so you see there that they're contrary to all men. They don't please God because they're trying to hinder God's will. Right? Which was for Paul to go to the Gentiles, and for all men to be saved. Uh, he says to fill up their sins always. Uh, so we saw this in Matthew 23. It's an interesting phrase because he says in verse 32, Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Right, so talking about the fathers that persecuted the prophets, this generation is going to kill the Messiah. Right, and he tells them to fill up the measure of your fathers, talking about their sin. All right, fill it up because you're going to face the wrath of God one day. Uh, in Genesis 15, verse 16, you see a similar thing back here with Abraham when God is promising him the land. It says, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. So he's prophesying about them coming out of Egypt. Uh, in the fourth generation that shall come again uh, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Alright, so God is patient. He gives people time to fill up their sin to a point to where it's time for y'all to be judged. Right? Um, and so you see that with the Amorites. Same thing here, right? To fill up their sins always. Right? He let the Jews get to a point to where they were so far gone, right? So wicked that they needed to be judged. Right? And it was righteous to judge them. Uh, it says, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. 
Uh, Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. All right, so, of course, these Jews who are contrary to all men, who do not please God, who reject uh, Paul and his message and don't want to see Gentiles saved, uh, the wrath of God is going to come against them. In Romans 2, verse 5, Paul says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So again, similar to that phrase, fill up your sins always for the wrath to come upon you. Here it says, treasures up unto thyself wrath. All right, so because of their hardness, uh, hardened heart, they're treasuring up into themselves wrath. All right, basically you're just building it up for more judgment, right, because of your sin and your rejection of God and your unrighteousness. And so he says this is the, the outlet for these Jews, right, that were persecuting the Thessalonians, that persecuted the Jewish church in Jerusalem, that persecuted Paul, that both killed Jesus and the prophets. All right, that's a pretty strong condemnation for this people, uh, the things that they did. And so they're treasuring up to themselves the wrath of God. Uh, verse 17, he says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. And so he says, being taken from you. Uh, they left Thessal the Thessalonians not of their own accord. Uh, again, we've covered it many times. They were uh, driven out by the unbelieving Jews. In Acts 17.10, it says the brethren, brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas right, because of the persecution that was happening there uh, from the Jews. Uh, so the Thessalonians sent Paul and Silas away immediately, it says. Uh, and so Paul didn't leave of his own accord. right? He was sent away. Uh, so that's what he's saying here. We, brethren, being taken from you for a short time uh, in presence, but not in heart. Right? His heart was still with the people. He still had a desire to be there. Uh, to see them grow in their faith. Uh, he says, We endeavor to see your face. Uh, so again, Paul had that desire, right, to be there in person among them, ministering with them. Verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So he says Satan hindered him from going back to see the Thessalonians. So again, I don't think this was Satan himself came down and did something to hinder Paul. Um, because Satan does have ministers. Uh, in Romans 1.13, Paul says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So that but was let hitherto means I was hindered from coming to you, uh, which he says clearly in chapter 15, verse 22 of Romans. It says, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Um, and so he doesn't attribute his hindering from going to the Romans to Satan, but Paul at different times in his ministry was hindered from going to people. Here he clearly says it was Satan that hindered him. Uh, again, I don't think it was Satan coming down to hinder Paul himself in person, but rather using his ministers. Right? Satan does have ministers. Uh, which we see in 2 Corinthians 11, 
He says, For such are false, uh, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And I marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their work. So you see his ministers there in verse 15, transforming themselves to ministers of light. Right? They look like they're doing the right thing. Uh, oftentimes we think of Satan and Satan's worshipers as evil, wicked people. Right? Paul here says they're transformed into ministers of light, but they're false apostles. Right? Uh, to me, this is most of the quote-unquote Christian churches. Right? You have thousands of denominations, thousands of churches that maybe say they believe in Christ, but they're false apostles. Right? They're false teachers teaching wrong things. These are ministers of light that are actually ministering for Satan because they're hindering people from hearing the truth. Um, and so that is what Satan is doing today. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, uh, Paul says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. Right, so the gospel is hid because it's, uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Right, the God of this world is Satan. Right, and he's blinding people to the gospel. Uh, and so I think the, the context of 1 Thessalonians uh, 2 verse 18, Paul being hindered from going back was probably those unbelieving Jews. Right, he wanted to go back, but the persecution was so great that he knew he would have been killed there or caused more persecution for the Thessalonians if he went back. Right, so it's probably those Jews who are contrary to all men, who don't please God, who were doing the work of Satan in that instance. Right, so he says there, uh, Satan hindered us. Uh, so he wanted to be there, he wanted to minister to them, but he was hindered by Satan. Verse 19, he says, For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing. Uh, so this crown of rejoicing, this is not a physical crown. Uh, it's pretty clear in the context that the Thessalonians was his crown of rejoicing. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul talks about crowns a few times. Here he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so you see there, what Paul is doing is he's preaching to others. Right? He brings his body into subjection so that he can do that. Uh, that's why he fights, right, so that he can preach the gospel to others. Uh, he says people strive for mastery, right? People strive to be professionals, to be perfect at their craft, uh, at a sport, uh, but they're doing it to obtain a corruptible crown, right? The Super Bowl trophy, uh, the NBA trophy, all these things are going to burn up one day, right? It's hardware. It's not going to last. Uh, it's corruptible. Paul says, but we are doing what we do for an incorruptible crown. Right, so it's not a crown that he's going to wear on his head. It's people. Right? You think about 
1 Corinthians 15, this corruptible will be changed into incorruptible. Right? Saved people will be changed into incorruptible beings right, at the resurrection. Uh, and so it's people that is Paul's crown. Right? That's what he's saying in Thessalonians. His crown of rejoicing is the Thessalonians and them being in Christ when Christ comes back to uh, call up his church. Uh, again, he clearly says this in verse 19. Uh, he says, What is our crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Right? He's saying it's, it's going to be y'all are our crown of rejoicing when we see you there in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. 2 Corinthians 1.14 says, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. All right, so he says, you're saying that we're your rejoicing, but you are our rejoicing in the day of the Lord Jesus. All right, so same thing to the Corinthians. You're going to be our rejoicing, our crown of rejoicing at the day of the Lord Jesus, All right? Because you're the fruit of our ministry, All right? That's our crown is the fruit uh, of our ministry. Philippians 2.16. Paul says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. All right, so he wanted the Philippians to be there on the day of Christ so that he could rejoice right, in that day, knowing that he didn't labor in vain, right, that there was fruit in his ministry among the Philippians. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. All right, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So the Philippians are his joy and crown. Uh, so you can see here this crown of rejoicing, it's people, right? It's fruit of the ministry. That's what Paul uh, says this crown of rejoicing is. Um, and then verse 20, he says, For ye are our glory and joy. All right, so very clearly, it's the, uh, the Thessalonians that was his crown of rejoicing. They are his glory. They are his joy. Right? It's the word of God working in them, right? seeing their faith grow. Uh, this is what Paul's rejoicing was in. Psalms 127.3. Again, you have a physical truth and also a spiritual truth here. I've not experienced the physical truth here. But I know mom and dad can testify to this. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of their womb is his reward. All right, children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Proverbs 17, 6. Says that. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. So you see that the crown of old men are their grandchildren. Right? Children's children are the crown of old men. Well, children aren't something you wear on your head as a crown, right? It's uh, like a, a reward, right? It's a crown, a reward. Grandchildren are a reward, right? It's a blessing. Um, it's the fruit of the body, right? So spiritually, Paul is saying his crown of rejoicing is the fruit of his ministry, right? Spiritual children. 
uh, there in First Thessalonians 2, 7, we looked at this last week, he says that he cherished them as a, a mother cherishes her children, or as a nurse cherishes her child. Right? He charges them as a father, right? exhorts them as a father. So you see, he acted as their parents spiritually, right? because they are his spiritual children. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Right, so the Corinthians, he says, I am your father in the gospel. Right? I'm your father spiritually. I'm the one who brought the gospel to you and saw you saved. I am the one that begot you in the gospel. Uh, and so that's why the, the uh, Corinthians are also Paul's crown of rejoicing. Right, because he was the one that preached the gospel to them and saw them saved. Uh, so we'll stop there. Uh, again, some good verses here talking about the word of God working in you. Right, That's how you, uh, God is working today. Right, He's working through his word and through people believing it and having them work in them. Um, and then also, think about the crown of rejoicing. How many crowns will you have? Right, there is that application there. Do you want crowns of rejoicing? Uh, at the day of the Lord. Because it's not something that you get and wear. It's seeing people there that you've ministered to. Right? And it's all soul saved or the word of God working in people. Uh, and so with that said, uh, any thoughts or questions?